The Protect Your Neck Podcast, UFC 228 Breakdown. Picks, plays, and whatever else comes our way. Let's go to work. Hot air hangs like a dead man from a white oak tree. People sitting on porches thinking how things used to be. Dark night. It's a dark night Dark night It's a dark night What is up, you savages? This is the Protect Your Neck Podcast, and I am your host, Dan Tom. Analyst's work you can find at MMAJunkie.com and five days a week on MMA Junkie Radio, but... On this year' program, the Protect Your Neck Podcast, we break down high-level MMA. That's what we're going to do here today, tonight. Whenever you're listening to this, hopefully it's before the fight. Apologies off the top. Uh, of course, as per usual, these breakdown episodes are always later than I want them to be. But, uh, you know, especially apologies because with the new, you know, uh, reformatting of, of me old schedule, uh, I sh- you know, I'm trying to get these out earlier, but I'm, I'm still also kind of settling um, into that new format, uh, and this week was a little bit of both, you know, we have the, uh, back to the full main card breakdowns, uh, minus the betting article, but the full in-depth main card breakdowns over at MMA Junkie should be out now, uh, as you listen to this, uh, if not, then give the main card breakdown, uh, with the, uh, prelim picks a, a little bit of time, but I know the co-main and main are up over there at MMAJunkie.com, uh, already, and then we also had some of the new stuff, as I kind of alluded to with the, the uh, top five videos, as you guys uh, could see there. Yes, we'll be doing truncated versions of the top five you're used to here in the Protect Your Neck podcast. Those will be coming out. I'm on MMA Junkie. Uh, really popping out, uh, you know, on the monthly, you'll see those, safe to say, uh, which is awesome. And um, got a lot of positive feedback on that first one. Thank you, guys. We did the top five welterweight wars. Uh, which was an episode we actually didn't do too long ago. Yes, though topical doesn't have to be, but yes, yeah, topical certainly doesn't hurt. We've done it before on this show, and especially now that you guys are kind of seeing the pieces fall together with the video format, you, you kind of kind of see why I'm, I, I try to stay on topic if possible there. But uh, we'll still be getting plenty more guests. Um, big shout out to Matthew Wells for last week's show. That was a fun one. Um, which was a t- top five lightweight winning streaks. You can go back and listen to that. Uh, you can go back and listen to all these. They, they should be available for the iTunes subscribers. Yes, I'm sorry. I'm still working on Stitcher and SoundCloud. Check off your Protect Your Neck podcast bingo for Dan's Empty Promise Sheet. He, uh, you can check one off there. Uh, <laughs> I promise I'm getting to it. I'm get, I am getting stuff off the list. I have been in the last couple of months, which has been great. Um, and then, of course... MixedMartialAnalyst.com, where you can have smartphone-friendly players. Usually, you know, I add the forward slash podcast, or say go to the podcast tab, which is still up. But uh, as you could see, there's been some reformatting and some changes there. Uh, the front page is where you can go. We're just going to have it straight up on the front page now, um, instead of the outdated UFC 214 breakdown. That, that has just been taking up rent uh, at the top of Mixed Martial Analyst. Uh, and I apologize uh, if, if I sound... A bit loopy. I'm just waking up. Uh, part of the reason why I was late is uh, I came home today, and uh, everybody's getting football season. I'm like, perfect. Everybody's going to be watching football. Perfect time for me to 
clean up on the uh, prelim watching, uh, you know, for the rest of my tape study. But, uh, man, these weeks catch up with Dan Tom. They catch up with me at the end of the week. Um, And I've been better. I'm not not trying to play no violin here. Believe me, this was an awesome week. Uh, Busy as it was, awesome. Uh, and I actually got more. I I got more and have been getting more sleep than usual. But but uh, nevertheless, not enough, right? That, that story with all of us. I'm not I'm not special there. But man, it caught up with me. And uh, so I'm gonna take a nap. And uh, sorry if you hear any licking. It's my dog licking his ass on my bed. Thanks, Ben. Thanks for doing. You, you gotta. I let you lay on my bed, and that's what you do. Anyways, the Ben's the Benjamin Chronicles continue. Um, the fuck was I saying? Sorry, I'm going to make this, uh, this is not going to be a, as a schizophrenic version of the Protecting Night podcast as per usual, so no. So relax, relax, I will, I will, I will reel it in for you, uh, a little help from my, uh, man's best friend over here, but, uh, boy, what the fuck was I talking about? Breakdowns. Yeah, oh yeah, I took a nap, and, uh. It was only gonna be for like two hours, and of course I I, I slept through the motherfucker. Thank you. Thankfully I, I had a safety alarm, so up I woke at one a.m. Uh, and I was, of course I was hungry. Things were thrown off. Got some stuff done. Nothing not, not I need to go through here, but yeah, it's uh, two forty-five a.m. and uh, yeah, and and I'm here recording it when I was I was supposed to be recording this. Probably I think my target time was like eight, you know, seven to eight p.m. So apologies, but hey, we're still getting in that thirty-six hour, uh, twenty-four hour window. Take a drink here. Drinking coffee right now to to wake up just a little bit. I only can like sip little bits of it because the acidity still fucking destroys me. I've been, been switching over to tea. Uh, but that is a whole other thing, and I, I don't want to get on that. Um, talking about tea and Starbucks, I got a note about that. I'll, I'll save that for next time. Yeah, I'm gonna try to spare you the accents. Uh, oh, I, I got my Vegemite uh, virginity taken yesterday. And yesterday's show was a fun show. We had uh, we had uh, Jessica Rose Clark uh, coming in co-host on MMA Junkie Radio. The fans always love it when she does, when she comes in. But no, she's uh, she's an awesome girl and uh, person. So she comes in, we have a good time. And I, she was like, I think I saw her on Instagram. She was like doing taste tests like Vegemite, like with all like American friends. I was like, all right, next time you come to the show, you gotta. Uh, you got to bring that in because uh, I'm positive George and Goes never tried it, which they didn't, and I, I didn't, so we, we tried that today. So uh, shouts to her for coming in. And uh, and she also, uh, she also uh, I was like, it's funny, this is random. I'm, I'm not sure how many you guys fo- follow the, those Funko Pops. It's like those like a it's like those collectors thing. They make them like you know movies, comic book characters, or whatever. They, they make them out of everything. It seems like, uh, and I guess they made like a custom one for her. And it's funny because our co-host, shout out uh, producer Danny Otto, a lot of a lot of crossover listeners here I listen to MMA Junkie Radio, listen to Protect Your Neck podcast, and a lot of MMA Junkie Radio listeners listen to Danny Otto, our producer's podcast, popping off. Go check that out. It's kind of a crossover show. So if you're into like. Uh, comic books or uh, comic book movies or just movies, uh, pops, mainly pops, of course. Uh, that's, a, that, that, that's a show you should check out on YouTube. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, I always torture Danny because I always just think, you know, they was like, oh, they have like a Jeff Goldblum pop from uh, Jurassic Park, which I do think was pretty cool. I think that's a cool character. But I, I always think of it, I, I guess I don't understand this pop culture, these kids these days. 
So I'm just like thinking of inappropriate ones, like oh Buffalo Bill from Silence of the Lambs doing the tuck, and like Dan, no, they don't, they don't make pops like those. And uh, <laughs> thankfully, Jesse just didn't think I was crazy. A, she, she thought it was a good idea, and B, she was like, hey, I actually got this person who makes uh, custom pops. They made one of me. You should totally hit this guy up, and and we were, we were exchanging ideas for inappropriate pops. You know, I think. Well, <laughs> it's just fucking terrible. Like uh, Vigo Mortensen, the unseen of Eastern Provinces, for anybody who knows that. And uh, and yeah, and by the way, if anybody who watches Dan in the video formats on MMA Junkie or this or that, you'll, you will see some new uh, movie-themed shirts. Let's just say, uh, and I'll leave it at this, and I'm going to jump right to the breakdowns, and it, it will be a straight-through breakdown episode, so so I apologize. But uh, just, just finishing up with some, some, some movie talks and, and, and in that nature. But... Uh, <laughs> But yeah, I bought some uh, bought some movie shirts recently, and I don't know. I went on this this binge. I, I wasn't even I wasn't even drinking to be honest. It was like a it wasn't even an ambient binge. It was I took melatonin, and I don't take it that often. And uh, I remember like purchasing stuff, but I guess I forgot about it. And I, I I woke up and I saw these emails like, oh, just shipped, just shipped. I'm like, how much did I fucking order? And thankfully they were they were cheap. But uh, just some movie shirts, and one one that Dan Tom got was uh, Irreversible, which is <laughs> fucking. Uh, probably one of the most disturbing movies you'll ever see, and of course, leave it to Dan time to get that shirt. By the way, speaking of disturbing movies, or at least a hard open, I saw Hostels, which is streaming on Netflix. I enjoyed it a lot. Uh, talked to my man Jordan Killian on 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 uh, Twitter about it. He enjoyed it too. We were just talking about how they would just you know, you know, semi not not spoiler alert, but kind of semi just you know when when major characters would leave the film, they would do it off screen and like. Shit like that, I really appreciate, and and just really, really good, um, really good acting. Ben Foster, classic Ben Foster, playing fucking a psychopathic slash military guy, slash yeah, you know, classic Ben Foster. Ben Foster, Archangel. Ben Foster, Thirty Days of Night. Uh, ben Foster, uh, that Mark Wahlberg uh, military movie. Yeah, that that guy, good character actor. You know, Dan Tom loves his character actors. Um. I wrote Mr. Woodcock down here. I don't know how I fucking stumbled upon it, but I remember watching that that Billy Bob Thornton movie, Mr. Woodcock, with the Chalmers. Like, really, really cheesy, and I remember it really being cheesy, not being that great. It wasn't supposed to be great. I don't, I don't know. I got roped into it. Probably went with a girl or something. But I remember there was just a scene where they try to Ethan Suppley and his little brother try to frame Billy Bob Thornton, and they make a fake video, and he pretty much has a little brother pose in front of the camera. It's really fake, obviously fake. And he's like, "Oh, Mr. Woodcock, please don't hurt me again." But something about the way they throw the chair at this kid's face, it's so freaking real. And it just comes out of nowhere in the movie. And I just remember in the theater just uncontrollably laughing. I don't know if, if you guys have ever had this movie. Uh, you feel free to... You guys are getting better about this, too. I appreciate you guys chiming in my, my uh, on these parts of the podcast here. But you guys ever had a moment in a movie theater where you just laugh uncontrollably? And, and, uh, and it's just... It's probably at an inappropriate part, or maybe it's it, it's semi-appropriate. But the amount of laughter that you're giving is not that appropriate, and it stands out. Like that was that was Dan Tom. It was, <laughs> but it happened again. I when I watched it again, like years later, and just dug up that scene. And uh, if you guys know what I'm talking about, sh- shout me out there. I also watched uh, Sandcastle. Uh, sp- speaking of war, um, Hostels was more you know uh, turn of the century po- post Civil War. Uh, era sandcastle obviously more it's weird it hits me more weird because i i didn't serve but uh 
Dan Tom graduated 03 and actually up up until maybe like 02, since I was like a little kid for whatever reason, just wanted to, was obsessed, wanted to go into special forces and military and just study military history and guns and go shoot guns, right? Draw guns, just nuts. Just I love military stuff. It sounds sounds really kooky, I know, but I just really appreciate history and that stuff and also just with the martial arts and discipline and testing yourself. So there's there's just this whole thing there. And uh, anyways, long story short, I uh, maybe because I, you know, I had a stepfather come to my life was a you know special forces Vietnam veteran. You kind of didn't never dissuaded me, but you kind of see the the you know as a young kid you just kind of grow up on war movies and what you think it is, and then you speak to people really in it and even you know passionate weren't jaded people at all. They love the military, but it gives you more healthy perspective. Let's just say. So I didn't go, but a lot of Dan Tom's classmates went, and a lot of my childhood friends went. Some didn't come back. And uh, so it's just weird. You know, so whenever I watch these, like, fucking Iraq or, like, you know, um, Afghanistan movies now, I just, it has a, it's like, a, it's a deeper tone with me. I don't know why. I just, because, again, it didn't affect me. I, I didn't go over there. I'm not trying to, uh, trying to assume that role by any means. But, but again, just affecting people. Um, I know it's just, it's a weird one. Anyways, but Sandcastle it was, uh, it was, I was gonna say not bad. It was terrible. It was fucking terrible. They had they had some some good actors in there. The guy that played Beast from freaking uh, the X Men movies, which were which were great. He's a good actor. He had the uh, James Cavill, just like, this kind of over the top character. Really wasn't really in it as much as uh, he was advertised. I guess that's the Superman guy, right? And uh, what's his name? Fucking character actor guy. He's always got like a scar face, and he's like. Uh, an Irish, I'm pretty sure he's an Irish guy, and, uh, and I don't know, he looks like, 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 a, I guess, scarred up Norman Reedus, right, and ironically, they're actually in the same, they, they were in the same movie together, I believe Boondock Saints, he's a small role, he plays a detective, and of course, Norman Reedus, main character in Boondock Saints, but anyways, they have him as a fucking military sergeant, and I'm like, why is this guy a military sergeant, they, his hair cut's not even right, like, he's got long hair, and if you're in the field, especially, there's, there's a different culture out there, okay, maybe, but, like, this guy's rank and stuff, like, he it, it, it totally looked wrong for the part, and of course they make his name fucking McGregor. Anyways, just, and then just, just shit, technical shit that if my unexperienced ass was spotting it, I can only imagine real military guys just fucking pulling their hair out. Sorry, uh, that's, uh, that's the movie rant. And of course, with all that, I still haven't seen Crazy Rich Asians or uh, Searching with John Cho. If you guys have seen any of those, uh, let me know. What you think. All right, without any further, just under the 15-minute mark, we're going to go right into the breakdown. UFC 228 from bottom to top. Um, going to keep this a bit expedited, especially with uh, the shorter time frame and taking longer than I wanted to. Uh, rambling probably about a lot of nothing, so I apologize for that as per usual. By the way, guys, if you haven't noticed, I've actually been taking the time, though, to put timestamps, so if you want to skip these intros, uh, you can do so. And also reminding you, in these again, in the show notes, um, that uh, and, and timestamping and reminding you that my picks for these breakdown episodes, I will always recap my picks and plays, and I'm also going to, like I did last episode, going to recap all my picks, not just the plays like before... Excuse me. So that way, if you're in a pinch and or I didn't help you out by getting it out late as well, you can just skip to the end. And if you're a hardcore shitbag and want to hear ramblings of a man, man, of course, you can all go listen to that. Sure. But 
I always give you the option to skip is the point. I'm not, I have no illusion that you want to listen to me. I have no illusion that I talk too damn much on these things. I'm trying to cut that down. Bear with me. Except my olive branch. Thank you. All right. As I'm pulling up odds here, man, it is nine fights on the freaking prelims. It's, it's crazy. I mean, we'll, we'll see. You know, weigh-ins are going to be happening in the next, you know, five hours or so from now, I think. Uh, ish. Uh, you know, four. Uh, but, uh, you know, so we'll see what happens there. And I, I don't want to jinx it because, you know, it seemed like we had that really bad run, especially to start the year. But it feels like we've been on somewhat of a good run, I dare say, with these last last string of cards, folks. Anyways, uh, first fight, Jeff Neal, minus 185 against Frank Camacho, plus 160, uh, takes place on the Fight Pass portion of the card. In Dallas, Tejas. Um yeah, I was looking at uh, when the, when these lines came out. This was uh, one where I marked. I was like, okay, I want to look at Frank, Frank Camacho for a possible dog. Um, you know, most of Jeff Neal's fights end in the first round, and even though you know lost to uh, quality cats, like the, the uh, at least you know as far as regional fighters go, Kevin Holland really hasn't had too much of a chance to prove himself in the UFC, except for the uh, the exciting loss. I guess is the best way you could put that against Tiago Santos. But uh but but no that was actually a fun fight if you go but watch that in the regional scene um Kevin Holland versus um Jeff Neal at least uh parts of it. Um but yeah as much as I like uh, you know the island boy uh Frank Camacho such a nice guy by the way. Uh when we have him on the show he's just so polite um interacting with the guy on and off uh off the air. But uh you know, my thought here was, okay, well, Frank, you know, kind of like what was going into the Drew Dober fight. He actually, ironically, uh, trains with a lot of southpaws. That is the one upside to uh, Trench Tech or whatever his camp is out there in the Mariana Islands. He's actually got a lot of southpaw training partners. And I guess that wasn't, you know, that wasn't BS because he uh, he actually, you know, looked pretty good in that Dober fight. I picked Dober, Dober won. But there's an argument that Frank won that fight, right? I think it was more body language and damage um, because, it, you know, I, I think a lot of times we question the decision. We'll go back and look at the numbers or, you know, maybe if we don't have to, do, if you're not in a position where you have to do tape study, I don't blame you. Uh, you're just kind of giving yourself a refresher. Maybe you won't go back and watch the fight. Uh, maybe you'll just go kind of look at those numbers and say, you know, kind of confirm to see where where you stood and where it stood. And, and yeah, those numbers will slightly point to Frank winning, I guess, but. It was so close. Um, you really couldn't be upset either way for that one. And both the fighters felt the same. Uh, that being said, uh, I, 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 you know, I, I think uh, Jeff Neal is not is is a much bigger guy. You know, he's fought at middleweight and has held his own at middleweight. Although he's primarily felt at welter, fought at welterweight, whereas Camacho, um, you can argue should be a lightweight. I mean, I never like guys cutting weight, but, you know, you look at the frame and whatnot, and, yeah, he's a thicker frame, and us island guys are thicker frames, but it's like, did we see the benefits when he went up to 170? I mean, even when he went up to 170 and was fighting lighter guys who are, like, natural lightweights, it's like he, we were still seeing Frank gas, and granted, Frank brings it, of course. You know, you can only keep that pace, so not not, not, not condemning the guy and, and completely blasting the guy, but, uh, yeah, you got to be critical, and, you know, usually when I... Like to see guys when they don't have to cut weight. I like to see that cardio keep up. But there's there's different schools of thought there. You're not draining your body, but then you're not maybe you're not doing as much road work either, right? So 
Yeah, yeah, it's 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 tough to say what's going on in that department. Uh, but what Frank does well, he does well. He's got those foot trips and the sweep, you know, sweeps in the clinch. Uh, he's good when he's on top. He can scramble off the bottom, and, and you know, he's got third and fourth wins. So my thought here is if he can survive the initial blitzes of the first round from Jeffrey Neal, then maybe he could take this fight. But then again. Like I just said, the gas tank's not necessarily proven. And Jeff Neal, even though he looks, he's got that fucking Ron Stallings, I got teleported from 1983 look to me, he's actually like only 28. You know? <laughs> Ron Stallings, baby. 1983. Oh, god damn, I don't have his Twitter handle, by the way. But shout out to, uh, I, I, I always love these digital artists. I always give them follows and retweets. Um, always got to support the artist community, not just the MMA community. But uh, he was the gentleman that did the, uh, if you guys saw that, that, that uh, John Jones DC 1983 viral thing going around. I appreciated the shit out of that. Anyways, um, yeah, Jeff Neal. Uh, so I, I, I think, you know, and again, I'm pretty sure, you know, he's, yeah, he's training four to seven May, but he just got some mean, some, some mean looking dudes all training together for this fight and focused. And uh, I just think about those cards like Boston where I'm always end up like on the other side of these, these hometown guys and whether they're underdogs or not, and then you see these hometown guys fucking band together for the show that's in their town. They show up, man. Uh, that doesn't mean I, I picked picked all of them. I picked against some of them, which we'll get to later, but but not not against this one, even though my early lean was Camacho. I'm picking Jeff Neal here. But this one is on my fights to avoid uh, list, which, again, won't be uh, posted as per usual, but you get it here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. I will be carrying some of these themes over, maybe in the future uh, segments, too, that you will. You will see in the future. All right. Uh, Roberto Sanchez's next fight is an underdog, plus 325 to Jared Books, minus 400, which kind of surprising at first, but, you know, I guess that's not a lot on Roberto Sanchez and Jared Brooks's. La- you know, you're only good at your last fight, and if that, you know, that whole stigma, and, well, kind of sticks in your head, doesn't it? The, uh, <laughs> The gifs and stuff for days on on, on Jared Brooks, uh, a.k.a. Kobe uh, Cove Light there. Uh, but I got Jared Brooks here. Um, I think his wrestling should dictate. You know, striking is nothing to write home about. But, you know, you're able to at least hang in there. Even if you get stunned or hurt by a guy, uh, just a destroyer like uh, Figueredo. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, make a case for yourself and, you know. In that fight again, just another great, another great, uh, another great DC. You know, one of the one of the one of the best DC moments. I know I said this on a previous podcast because Figueredo just fought, but when DC is just talking to Jared Brooks and goes in there and it's fucking just eat, kind of eat shit. And uh, while I'm on it, just only because it's a note here that it was for this podcast. But uh, one of my favorite DC moments was the Anik. Uh, I think it was a Florida card because it was Jorge Alonso refing. And I guess Jorge Alonso kept facing guys off throughout the night. And just hearing D- like DC lose it, like, at a DC level, of course, that's his thing. But even more so, he's just like, Jorge Alonso, my man. It's another face. He's facing him off again. Okay. This is great. He's just losing his shit. Oh, it's great. It's great. And then, uh, you know, John Anik is a genuine laugh when he does this. Ah, 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 ah. Like, you hear him do this. Ah, and he kind of just caps off his laugh. Like, it's it's funny. It's it's, it's, it's one of uh, Anik's, uh, Anik's tells. You know, you know, you get a genuine laugh at Anik if you can do one of those. Oh, come on, voice. Body, wake up. 
All right. Uh, anyways, uh, Roberto Sanchez did look to, I guess, improve. We only saw him stand up for not that long. I mean, there was another short fight for him, which is kind of his MMO, MO, and he ended up winning the way he normally does. I mean, I like to say Jared Brooks is a good enough grappler to stay out of it, but, of course, the wrestlers, they tend to turtle by nature. So if Jared Brooks does get careless in a scramble, you know, it could be one of those things where if he, his ego didn't get checked from his last fight, you let a guy like Roberto Sanchez in on a position, you think you're fine, uh, and then you just end up like, oh, oh wait, I, I let him too deep and it's already too late kind of a thing. But aside from that, I'm, I mean, I see Jared Brooks winning. Uh, I'm staying the F away. There's just nothing I like, even props-wise, in that fight. All right, uh, Lucy, puddle of love, Pudalova, puddle of love, plus 100 versus Arin Aldana, minus 120. I like both these girls, man. And uh, I was looking at Pudalova as a live dog, although you weren't really getting much for her. So, I mean, it wasn't, uh, and it, not, not that this is kind of a, a fight to bet anyway. So, I mean, it wasn't like, like like that. But as far as the pick goes, yeah, yeah, she's, she is a live dog. Still is. But I, I didn't pick her. Maybe it's because of the short notice. Maybe it's, it's hard. It's like those, that body language thing. I mean, she's got some real deceptive pop in her shots. I don't think you could deny that at this point, especially... You know, for 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 the female divisions like that, for that weight class, I mean, you either have it or you don't, right? And and uh, it's usually pretty easy to tell because not many have it, but those that do have it. And she's she's got some pop there, but she just has that gangly frame, right? It's just like, or it, it like it makes her it like it makes her technique look worse, and also makes her look like she's taking more damage than she actually does when she gets hit because it's just that gangly frame, right? Uh, or is I mean, Aldana, she's got the, she's got that that that, that Mexican boxing, you know, to, to be stereotypical. But it's funny because she she really, you know, she came in late. She only started like training at like 23, and it was Muay Thai. But uh, but no, she she moves really well. Um, she plays the part and seems to be uh, making small improvements despite the losses and setbacks. I mean, she, if you keep in mind again, she's not a world beater or a world future world title challenger and you just look at her as, as, as kind of for what she is and and yeah um I, I think she can win this fight i think you know she showed some good discipline uh you know as, as far as far as her last fight as far as far as uh keeping that distance and i know you know, there are some fights if you go back where she was air punching and she was keeping it too much. But you know what I mean? The, the point is she wasn't getting too aggressive. And you don't want to do that. You don't want to get into the clinch or the dog fight with uh, Pudalova because she just seems to really win those out. I mean, she was even, granted it was late into the fight, but she was even, you know, sweeping more ass at the end of their fight. So um, I'm staying the fuck away, motherfucker. It's just one of those days. Uh, that's on the avoid list for sure. All right, uh, Alex White, minus 150, Jim Millison, plus 130. Despite the pick, they're going to be like, either make you raise your eyebrows, like, what the fuck, Dan Tom? Or if you know me well enough, like, ah, I figured you'd do that, Dan Tom. I thought this would be wider. I thought Jim Miller would be a bigger underdog to Alex White, considering Jim Miller is 1-7 against UFC Southpaws. But uh, but I don't know. Maybe the public likes him because Alex White grappling has been his, his his trouble, and I think people forget that Jim Miller, you know, he forgets about it because he's always you know dropping for submissions. But he does have a wrestling base and and can wrestle some, if you, especially if you watch his earlier MMA fights um, as well. Uh, not that he wasn't crazy back in his earlier fights as well, but you, you know what I'm saying. Uh, 
earlier UFC fights. That stretch, I guess I should say. Um, but yeah, and, and and you know that was part of the reason why I picked him against um, Thiago Alves, which you know was kind of a head scratcher. A lot of people, and I, I get you know I admitted that it was a it was a it was a, it was, a, it was a shot of a pick, but you know it's not like I don't explain my thoughts on these breakdowns and the UFC 205 one uh, back at mixedmarshallanalyst.com when I wrote up the prelims. Um, yeah, that one was on there, and uh, you know maybe that's the route people are seeing here. I guess you know uh, takedowns is going to change his level. You know, I, I guess could we not be that surprised if Jim Miller could still submit a guy like, uh, like Alex White, who's not that great? You know, who is you know like blue or purple belt, and again his foils have been on the ground and hard to find him on social media. I don't see him popping up on anyone else's social media, so I guess he's training at the the some gym in Missouri still. Not shitting on Missouri, not shitting on the Sum Gym or whatever it's Spartan, I think it's called, sorry. But I mean, you know what I'm saying? That that's that Alex White, despite looking like he watched the movie Southpaw too many times with Jake Gyllenhaal and wants to be him for Halloween really, really badly. Um I like the dude's style a lot on the feet, man. He's a badass. No, he's he's like a looks like a serial killer. Uh just a real potent southpaw puncher. You know, you know Dan Tom's all about that. Um so yeah, I could see him doing the old retiring move like he did uh, to uh Oh, watch your Schmish face. I'm too lazy to pull the thing in front of me. Oh my goodness. Uh Danger Zone. Mitch Clark. Yeah. It's fine. Thought a highway to the danger zone before I could think of Mitch Clark. Ugh. Nine prelims, Dan. Let's get through this. All right. <laughs> But yeah, um, Alex White should be the favorite. Don't get me wrong here. Um, it's going to be probably really painful and a bum- bummer for me to watch. Don't jump off the cliff that I'm jumping off of by not just picking Jim Miller. But I even uh, just sprinkled a little bit of my personal, uh, just a personal, personal, personal on, on Jim Miller. Just because. Just I know it's really bad uh, to do that. I haven't done that in a while. That's how I started betting was just doing it emotionally like four years ago or five years ago, however Six, probably seven. Wow, probably like over six years ago. Dan, Tom, Jesus, you're losing track of time. Um, you know, you just, ah, oh, you want to root for this fight. I don't want to root for him anyways. Now I get to win money if he wins. And you just, obviously, that's not how I think of it now. It's just being brutally honest when you, you're you just thinking of it you know, as, a, as, a, as a fan and novice, better just getting into it. And, uh, and again, I'm being brutally honest here. Don't follow me uh, on that, uh, on this of the pick, but... Uh, yeah, um, I'm I'm going full nostalgia. I'm taking a time machine back to early fandom and and doing it because uh, this might be Jim Miller's last fight. So, you know, Dan Tom loves memes and Jim Miller, and uh, we'll get into it. Just hopefully comes out to that CCR baby. All right, another guy could be his last fight. Jesus Christ, another another end of an era, dude. Here, Diego Sanchez plus one eighty against Craig White. Jesus, the the what the what 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 people that know the difference. Pulp Fiction. Um, Craig White is going to come in at minus 220. Um, it's about where I, I would expect the other line to be, if not even wider. So, yeah, yeah, I can see that here. But, you know, it's a weird thing about the, It's like that Marcin Hell thing. It's like, it's like okay, let's, you know, don't get me wrong. Like, Craig White, you know, can finish guys with strikes, you know, Standing on the feet, he's, he's got you know just the, the Goku homage he pays to. He's almost got those karate style blitzes. Will come up high with the head kicks, 
Like, he can do it. He's physical enough, and that's all you really need to be at this point in Diego Sanchez is a career to hurt him, right? But he also likes to grapple and gets in those scrambly, grapply situations too in victory or defeat. And that's where, like, Diego Sanchez makes his money. That's where he's always been good, and that's where he's really not hasn't lost a step. So that always kind of worries me, you know, inexperienced guys who have not proven and haven't got their win yet, got losses, but not a win yet in the UFC. Again, kind of that Marcin Held mold. You know, these things kind of just worry me a bit there. Um, so, yeah, I kind of just stayed away from this fight altogether, uh, not even so much for the nostalgic reasons, uh, though much much respect to Diego Sanchez, of course, but I'm, old. I'm a way big Jim Miller fan than a Diego Sanchez fan. No, that doesn't matter. Uh, respect to Diego Sanchez, but yeah, I'm just I'm just staying away from this fight just in general. It has nothing to do with any, any of that nonsense. All right, uh, Charles Bird minus 175, Darren Stewart plus 155. I swayed a bit on this one. Um, I, you know, I guess I'm just so used to seeing an underdog check mark uh, plus by uh, Darren Stewart's name. I'm like, yeah, that makes sense. But then when I looked at it, I'm like, wait a minute, Darren Stewart's freaking used to be a light heavyweight, and, and Charles Bird um, is just like a 5'10 welterweight. You know, you could argue that's not the biggest welterweight. Uh, granted, he's a thick frame dude, and and you could maybe he had trouble making the weight. He was making like 172 and like other weights, like his regional career, and kind of like pop up at 185. Um, said he felt good at 185. So maybe it's his new home, but I don't know. It's just. Again, I'm not. I'm all for guys not cutting weight, but you know, this is another one like like Karen Camacho, who's also five ten, and you know, and, and has fought two weight class up to up two two weight classes down. Uh, you know, so it's anyways. But and obviously, not height's not everything. Obviously, there's so much more. It's a muscle. This is a very muscly, thick dude with thick legs. Charles Bird is uh, karate wrestling base. Um, obviously, see the wrestling uh, the. Uh, being the key, getting a submission over Darren Stewart, who that's not his forte. Uh, I was kind of a knock you out in the first, if I can get you in the first or second kind of guy, although he does have third, third round stoppages as well on his record. Uh, that, you know, that being said, I don't know if Bird gets the takedown as easily. I mean, a lot of his takedowns are opportunistic, which, don't get me wrong, Darren Stewart gives his opponents a lot of opportunities, but... Uh, Darren Stewart is very strong, uh, deceptively strong in the clinch. You know, you can argue how marginal, sure, uh, how small those margins are, but there are margins being made and improvements uh, over the years. So, you know, it's 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 a tricky one, you know. And Charles Bird hasn't been knocked out officially, but he's been rocked in fights before, you know. And he he's he's hittable. Um, it's a real tricky one. I went back and forth. Part of me started was leaning with Stewart at a certain point. But even though I'm not super confident in Bird's wrestling, I'm confident that in him outworking Stewart. I'm co- uh, not, not confident, I should say, but uh, that's, I guess, where m- my eyes ended up settling as far as how I see this thing going. That even if Bird failed in those takedowns early, uh, if he gets Darren Stewart to work, that in that battle of attrition, I, I will favor a guy like Bird, even albeit a smaller guy. Um, but I stayed, I stayed away. That's, that's on the, the avoid list too, which I will recap at the end of this bad boy. All right. I think we're getting toward the, no, so like three more fucking prelims. Uh, all right. Darren Stewart plus 155. 
underdog and Charles Bird minus one. Oh, what the fuck am I reading that before again? John Dodson plus one twenty five underdog. Jimmy Rivera minus one forty five. Um, yeah, man. I mean, Dodson. What can we say? Uh, kind of say the same thing we always say and see from Dodson. I mean, very talented. Could beat anybody on any given night. Um, speed hasn't gone yet, but I, I don't know how much it's standing out that you know. Uh, how how much he's still standing out in, in that sense. I mean, it keeps him safe, but we're not seeing those the you know the knockouts are more few and far between. Whereas these close fights are kind of a constant. Obviously, you know, had another one with Pedro Munoz. I was in attendance uh, for that one. Um, and yeah, just a classic close fight, classic Dotson fight. Uh, like a lot of his fights are. Um, but this and kind of the next matchup have kind of similar themes in the sense of, I just, they're, they're, they're very good guys, so you don't want to disrespect, but I think, I, I feel like I have a better feel for them. Uh, and I ain't playing big at all or anything, like not that good of a feel, but I'm just saying a better feel because we, we just, because we've seen, you know, uh, both guys before. But, uh, Jimmy Rivera, man, um, the problem here is I, Jimmy Rivera is 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 content to play John Dotson's game, but not in the way that would favor John Dotson. So you know, they both you know uh, you know enjoy working at their own pace on the feet. But the problem for, in my opinion, Dotson is that Rivera obviously higher strike output, uh, stronger pace, and uh, I see him you know doing really well in this matchup. Uh, I don't see either guy really going for too many takedowns, but I, if if for some reason Dodson wants to dust those off for close rounds at the end, which he's done before, obviously, I, Jimmy Rivera is a very tough guy to take down. So again, it's kind of comes down to unless Dodson hurts him with that left hand, right, or or, or a head kick. Uh, it's hard to see him winning that fight. And again, the, the, those are coming fewer and far between these days for Dodson. So I actually. Like Rivera here, I don't. I don't blame you for playing him. I, I, I was pondering on playing him at the minus one forty-five. Um, I may still, but uh, I actually sprinkled uh, just a, a little bit uh, on the decision prop uh, plus one nineteen uh, for Jimmy Rivera, just because Dodson's a hard guy to finish, and Rivera, you know, um, especially with his his trend as late in the UFC. You know, we see in how his style's playing out against the higher level guys, especially in a fight like this where he needs a win. Just kind of has decision written all over it, either way. But uh, I'm going that, that, that I'm going that uh, Rivera will have his name uh, right on the cards. All right, next fight: Aljamain Sterling minus 150 favorite, Cody Stammen plus 130. Um, I like Cody Stammen. I feel like I like him more each fight. Uh, I can see why he's the underdog here. Um, and yeah, you know, there, there was a little bit of home run with the caraway pick on him last time, but I also explained that there was good reason for that caraway pick, you know. There, there was home run for my caraway pick over Aljamain Sterling uh, when he fought him. Uh, but uh, again, I, I would argue that the analysis ended up matching up with that. Um, and, uh, you know, there, there was an argument for caraway in that fight, but that's neither here nor there. Um, the, the important part of the caraway fight is I think that. You know, I mean, Cody Stanton can adapt really well. You watch him on the regional scene coming up. You can almost see him when he's implementing new tools. Like, you know, he's a wrestler and boxer, but then training with Darren Crickshank. Like, you see those fights in his 
uh, regional scenes before he gets to the UFC where, he, he, you know, he's throwing these kicks and you're seeing him in his fights for the, if, you know, for his first fights or for the first time in fights. And he's throwing him like a veteran, you know. He's, he's he, not just athletic, but he's just adaptable, man. Really smart kid, really underrated in that sense. Really got my eye on him. Uh, I feel like I'm enjoying him, becoming more of a fan each time. But I think that, that, that lower output and that countering style really starts to come out. Um, I mean, maybe there'll be a couple matchups, you know, there's still a lot to see from Cody still that could bring this out. But I think the reason why it came out in his last matchup is because of the grappling and the scrambling and forcing that kind of a fight. Uh, you know, he not that Cody Stammen can't do that. He's very athletic. He can scramble himself. But he, he clearly wants to do things on his terms. Uh, so I think that might have drew, you know, the... Uh, the more uh, more conservative conservative approach for him, and against a guy who, like Sterling, who you know can do things that knows how to win win, win rounds, judges even you know earlier Sterling when you could criticize his boxing range, he was either doing it with wrestling pressure or kind of you know putting a lot of fluff out there, a lot of kicks from range, and keeping busy even if he was really wasn't doing a lot of meaningful offense striking wise, right? And would still win close fights or or just just bank points. And now he's addressed those criticisms. He's coming forward, throwing more volume, much better at boxing range. Uh, so uh, you know, but but his with his scrambling game and his wrestling game always being there and his bread and butter, um, and probably being his best advantage on paper. If if if, if someone had to critically pick one, I would say. Um, I have to imagine Stammen being a smart guy knows that, and I think it may make him kind of fight more shelled up, uh, or you know, more pronounced shelled up countering game than usual. Kind of like more more towards something like his last fight. Um, so I'm picking Sterling here, and again, even though the minus one for these kind of maybe not tempting because again, these are these are two studs, right? Who could very well be fighting a second or third time down the road. Um, I think it's going to go to decision because both guys are really tough to finish. Um, especially Stamman appears like he's going to be tough for anybody to finish. So I went with Sterling by decision prop, and you actually get plus 125 for that. Uh, at dimes, by the way, is where, of course, I, I use my usual my, 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 my numbers. My numbers there. All right. Last fight on the prelims before we, uh, before we take our break. We got... Uh, Tatiana Suarez minus four seventy five and Carla Esparza plus three eighty. Um, yeah, it's it's a widespread, but I definitely get it. Again, you, you got you got a, another matchup, kind of like the Dotson uh, Dotson Rivera fight, where you have two fighters. If you know, to, to they're different fighters, clearly, but you want to stereotype it. Um, they make their money with the same thing, so wrestling, or at least the threat of wrestling, and. Uh, and pressure, except one just does it better. One's just bigger. Uh, one is probably going to put more meaningful stuff out there. And that's Tatiana Suarez. Uh, excited to see what she can develop from her very developing southpaw style. Although I think I saw some headlines, something about her touting her power. I don't know. Hopefully she keeps it in check and just keeps getting better and doesn't get ahead of her. Cause I, I love what I see. Um... It's just I, I love love the way she grapples and just the way she uses cradles and kind of locks girls down and 
works off those front headlocks and really just just you know leg rides and just ah just really make just a menace just a real menace to deal with where Esparza proven she could be taken down before in the past um but as much criticism as she gets you could really argue that that Esparza hasn't lost since uh she lost her title, you know, two split decisions. You could argue went her way. Um, obviously, you got to feel for her with that last one against Gadelia, and especially because she showed improvements. And I think, like, even her critics can admit that although they may not be world beating improvements, they may not be enough here. But in that last fight and, and of late, they may not be, be huge, but she has made, uh, you could tell she's made these efforts uh, t- toward improving, and you got to give her that. Um, but I, I don't think it's going to be enough of them. Fan of Carla, Team Oyama there, uh, but uh, you know she's got Kenny Johnson with her, so clearly she she realizes that she has to, to spiff up her wrestling. But I don't know if it's gonna be enough, man. Uh, I got Suarez here. I don't, I don't like any of the lines though. All right, on that beat, we are gonna take a break, and when we come back. We're gonna break down the main card for UFC 228 right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast. And we're back right here on the Protect Your Neck podcast for the UFC 228 main card breakdown. Kicking off the main card is not a lightweight fight. It is a potential welterweight war between Abdul Razak Al Hassan versus Nico Price. Um, yeah. Alrighty, this one is this one should be on the avoid list. Let me just state that uh, first off. But 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 it's it's not on my avoid list. Um, right now Nico Price minus one hundred five. And Abdul Razak Hassan minus one fifteen. So, so we've got some movement there. I again, this is this is not one I, I suggest you follow because it should be on 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 my annual avoid list. But I took a shot on Nico Price when he was plus one twenty at one unit. He was just one of the few dogs that I felt ha- had legs. And again, it's no no disrespect to Al Hassan, but I almost feel more confident, kind of like what I was talking about on the prelims. Not that I feel confident, you know. Betting against a guy like a Cody Stamen or betting against a guy like a John Dotson, but in comparison to these low sample size, you know, divisions, uh, you know, like you know, no offense, but you know, saying just you know, betting heavy on the female fights or uh, not picking on the females, but a lot of the you know, when I, you know, if, if we're being rude and critical about it, trash fights, uh, a lot of those are are are, are, are dudes, you know. Uh, are, are dudes, uh, if not if not uh, if not just as much, if not more, right? So I mean, you know, those kind of fights get real dangerous. Um, almost feel more comfortable just you know, again betting on on, on a proven sample size. And yeah, it's, it's this guy, it's that guy. But if you get that out of the head, and you we're just looking at what guys do in sample sizes and and and, and, and numbers and footage and, and you know and facts for what for what for what we want to define those as, and then yeah, yeah. Anyways. Hope that made sense. But um, 
Yeah, I took I took 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 a shot on price here. Um, you know, you'll see my main card breakdown. I agree, Al Hassan should be favored. I can see why he's favored. Uh, he hits like a tank. He doesn't just hit like a tank. He, he's got actually has good technique. You know, trains under Steve Warmaster, right guy. Uh, I I respect him. I'm a fan of as far as coaches go. You know, uh, the, the Al Hassan has a preternatural, pred- you know. Uh, sense for space as far as pulling and returning punches and you go back early in his career does it kind of come natural you almost see why he just kind of abandons his judo and even though you're hard-pressed to find judo footage of him you know it you know it makes me wonder what kind of judo player was he did, did he even was he really even like a Nawaza guy did he even like focus much on the groundwork you know in general which most judo guys don't obviously that, that that's the least part of uh, you know of, of the uh, of the three chambers if you will they're gonna they're gonna practice and and that's also because if you get in the judo rules is obviously much more limited time to snatch on submissions and all that so I mean lesser lesser incentive but yeah I don't I don't I don't know I don't know what it is uh, he he obviously mainly uses it to stand but. He's also shown he can be taken down too, you know. Uh, granted, it was Omar Akhmedov who ha- does have a good blast power devil and is a not just a 185er who somehow made it to 170. Like, dude, I saw. I, I always draw blanks for people I saw in, in uh, when I was trying to name drop the hotel lobby in New York, but just go back. I'll go back to that. Uh, back to that, and, and I remember seeing Omar Akhmedov down there. And it was, uh, I didn't recognize him at first because it was like there was, there was like a, a bunch of people, uh, fighters included in the lobby, and you just kind of think, oh, there's this person, and there's, you're kind of just taking account who's there. And I'm like, who's this heavyweight just sitting there with a beanie and a big beard, like just brooding? I'm like, is that like a Lear Latifi or something? Like looking like this light, light heavyweight looking guy, and it was Omariak Madoff. He just looked freaking huge. So yeah, I mean, maybe a little less shame for for you taken down by him, and that's a good prospect loss there, you know, for Al Hassan. But he's just looking. He's just such a burst fighter, man. That all that muscle, and like you see him, like almost like getting tired, and even some of the first round exchanges with uh, Hamasi in both their first round fights, and he's winning a lot of those, most of those exchanges in both fights, right? And uh, there's just some troubling things if you really want to look deeply into it and it's like am i looking too deeply into it but then again what else do we have to look at the guy right it's very limited ground footage you know um it almost just seems like he only moves defensively when he needs to like he's a's taking his break like oh i gotta take a break and recover part of it could be and probably is that but then there's also that thing where like you'll see it like guys because they know they can just explode up they get real lackadaisical and they're like, I'm fine, I'm fine. Then a guy passes, and like, oh shit, now I gotta move him inside control. And this guy's moving to a mount. And then you see them explode up to their feet, right? Um, and he does a lot of that. And I think that he, that's gonna be bad if he he allows it to get that deep in a dogfight because he takes breaks, whereas Price doesn't. Price is gonna be real, real fucking hittable, in real trouble early, but. Price, you know, again, uh, not a builder in the sense of a Max Holloway, not technically elaborate or anything like that. But as far as getting better as the fight goes on, as far as not slowing down and not, uh, uh, not getting, you know, not gassing out, uh, even when he is, his will seems to fucking somehow take him through and find a way to win, kind of dude like that. That's that's Nico Price, and uh, it's a hard thing to be confident on. Uh, it's, well, let's be honest. You can't be confident on it. You know, it's it's madness. 
Uh, that's why it's madness that I'm even, you know, throwing a unit uh, at the plus 120, but I did. Um, because uh, if he does survive that storm, I, I do see him either, you know, hitting a crazy strike from a crazy angle or, or catching a submission, which is what I predicted. Uh, so, yeah, Nico Price, but confident, no. Maybe there's a better angle that I'm missing on this one, but I didn't like the overs or unders or anything like that either. Most of the overs and unders are about right on this this fight. Uh, the, the the ladies' fights that aren't overs that aren't juiced aren't for a reason. In fact, let's get to that. One of them is the next one. We got Jessica Andrade, minus 450, Carolina Kovalkiewicz, plus 360. Um, yeah, pretty straightforward. Again, we have another one of those matchups where... Uh, Maybe this what part of the reason why it's so juiced uh, is because it, 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 it's we all love Carolina and you know respect her as far as her standings go in her in her perspectively in her division. But uh, again, we know these fighters. But not only do we know these fighters, this is one of those matchups, kind of like what two or three that I've mentioned already, where different fighters. But what they rely on is similar in spirit, and in that spirit, one does one just much better, right? Much younger, much stronger, much more volume, and that is Disca, pile driver, Andrage. Um, yeah, I mean, Carolina, she seems to be getting more smarter with her pressure as far as like, you know, she's just kind of prodding with her jab and countering more with the right, more than kind of just you know, broadly swooping in like she would normally do, like almost like as a pre-run pattern where she just kind of starts, uh, you know, kind of galloping in like a like an attack plane and starts going left to right, doubling up on the right hand as she shifts the southpaw right, not really paying attention to defense, even though she still kind of doesn't really pay attention to defense and she still keeps her low hands. Um, you know, which cost her, that's, which cost her against uh, Harry. That's why I picked her against uh, Harry. I thought Harry was going to, you know, be able to get some takedowns as well. But uh, Herrick's hooks and stuff, you know, uh, showed to improve. And um, also I had a, I had a little birdie whisper in my ear that uh, uh, Carolina was, was part of her big game plans was to drop for leg locks, which you saw she did do. But she, thankfully for her, she didn't do as much. So uh, I wasn't going off bad information there. But... That was also a big reason why I, I, I picked Herrig in that fight because if you go for a leg lock, you're probably going to end up in half guard. And what is Felice Herrig's best position? Topside half guard. So that was just seemed like a way no-brainer for what was already a close fight. And so I, I think I just took what was a dog in uh, Herrig. Not that I want It's not like I'm focusing on that fight trying to justify the pick, but I, I bring that up because I. Man, I mean, Carolina showed, again, she showed improved measuredness as far as the way she was going to approach in that fight, but she's not going to dictate the pressure against Andrade. And Carolina, she showed improved uh, wrestling, which I didn't expect. Uh, not that I didn't expect. Um, she, she does have a deceptively strong base and balance, but she did show some improvements as far as her grappling goes. And, you know, hitting sweeps and stuff like that, even from bottom. But uh, I don't know if she's going to be able to do that against Andrade, man. Andrade show shown a little more emphasis on trying to play that position more when she's gotten there in these these, these recent fights. These little bursts, 
showing glimpses that she's learned from her last fights. Uh, even though she, at the end of the day, it's a reckless style. But uh, but yeah, I got Andrade here. All right. Um, oh, by the way, <laughs> note I missed. One of... Uh, fuck. Oh, Thatch, Brandon Thatcher versus Nico Price. <laughs> you know it's bad when... Uh, <laughs> Brandon Thatcher's BJJ coach, I believe, uh, was screaming, uh, stay on your feet, stay on your feet. <laughs> and they were uh, grappling in the clinch for a second, like, you know it's bad. You know your jiu-jitsu is bad when your jiu-jitsu coach is telling you to fucking stay on your feet. <laughs> when you're shooting for a takedown, they're just like, no, no. Anyways, um, all right. Zabit, don't mess with... The Zo don't mess with the Zohan. Emaciated, don't mess with the Zohan. Zabit, Magomed, Sharapov. Now the biggest favorite in the card. Minus 1325. Brandon Davis to come back. Plus 870. These are crazy odds. You can't take these odds seriously in MMA when they get the spread that gets that wide. No matter what the matchup is. Especially when it's a capable man. I'm just kidding. No, when it's capable fighters like this, uh, and, and that's not a sexist thing because we're about to get to another fight with a crazy spread. But uh, it's hard to take that seriously. That said, obviously, Zabit should be the favorite. should be a deep favorite, and I understand the heavy backing. Um, though I wouldn't have, uh, touch this line, obviously. And that's why I kept these fights off. My, the avoid list as I usually would in the past, guys, because you should know what to do with these inflated lines anyways. Um... Zabit, man, I really love his really love his game. You know, um, it's almost worrisome because he's just you hate saying free flowing, dynamic, da, 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 but he really is. He fucking really is. You know, I love I love process guys. I love like your typical pressure fighters or your more you know you're more guys you can put in a box. But you, you know, you want to talk about you know style bending. Uh, Zabit Magum. Uh, <laughs> Speed Magomed Sharapov is doing that. I mean, you look from the shovel hooks he's throwing to the spinning wheel kicks. Even the, and he's throwing these things with accuracy too. Even when he's intercepting with like switch kicks and shit. I mean, it's it's insane. Um, but I, I, of course, my biggest thing, like I've said many times in this podcast, I love his wrestling, his counter wrestling. Uh, you know, at the end of the first round against Mike Santiago, he you know, Santiago gets uh, deep on that single. And sits him down, right? He, you know, like football hikes him, you know, uh, grabs a single and like, like does the hike, sits the beat down. But Zavit checks uh, Santiago's oil. And uh, for people who don't know what that means, that is, uh, that's where uh, <laughs> so a wrestling coach that once described to me, well, that's what you. <laughs> I remember going, no, 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 I remember asking him going, because I discovered, well, what the hell, why do wrestlers have a move called checking the oil? And that's because if you look at the end of the first round, Zabit grabs uh, Mike Santiago's ass where it looks like he's uh, almost putting a finger in his asshole. Sorry, it's to be graphic, but that's, the, hence the checking the oil, that's where it comes from. And I go, that's that's gross, why would they why would they call it that, coach? You know, what the hell, that, what kind of wrestler shit is that? Uh, what do you call it, checking the oil? And he goes, well, not a lot of places to grab on a single it. <laughs> Was his answer, and you see, there's a beat. He grabs, but there's some truth to that because he doesn't exactly do that. Obviously, he's being 
grab it for a joke, probably purpose and explaining the name. But you see, he sees a beat pretty much grab like Santiago's ass in that, that sense. And he, but he uses that leverage to sit himself up and take the position. It didn't really matter. The round was over. But uh, if you, you hear me in future episodes say checking the oil, you now know what checking the oil is. Congratulations, guys. You have that imagery in your head. Thank the Protect Your Neck podcast. Um, yeah, I love his counter wrestling and just the way he floats. I mean, it's got him in trouble. That's how he got his armbar loss. If you go back and, and look at that uh, against uh, Igor Cat, um, it's kind of a cool transition how that one happened. But but yeah, uh, you know, you float enough, you're gonna kind of fall into a trap, um, and that is kind of the inherent danger. You know, he to be so willing to float. Uh, you know, even when the cage isn't there to help him, like you'll see a guy. Uh, Forget, I think it was one of his ACB fights. Just reach up and grab a single leg, and Zabit starts immediately like kind of doing the dancing thing. Like he's going, like puts his leg up, like looking. He's like trying to reach out for the cage, but he's in the middle of the, or reach out for the cage, but he's in the middle of the cage. So there's no fence to for him, his other foot to reach out to. And he's like, now nah, I'm just gonna balance in midair. You know, you see him framing his shin across the other guy's thigh, balancing his weight upon it. Like he just understands floating and weight and balance and just just position so well. And he uses the fence really well, though, when he's there. Because if you notice, Zabit, something he does, he's always wedging between the fence. Like, it's funny. Usually guys are trying to get to the back, right? And you see guys do the thing where they put their back to the fence like a cheese grater, which is the right thing to do. Like, that's what you're supposed to do to defend a guy. And it closes him off, right? Like those Maya Usman and all those, the Maya fucking Masvidal. You see that hustle for position, right? And then the cage, guys are smartly using the cage. Zabit... It's like the cage won't stop him. Like, you know, in wrestling, you'll do those drills. Like, you know, you see those people do, you know, people do those things where they get themselves dizzy with a baseball bat, where they put their forehead at the baseball bat and make a circle. Um, in wrestling, they'll do drills where your partner kind of uh, assume four point position, like he's turtled. And then you put kind of the chest on their back and you circle. You kind of stay on your toes, you put your hands behind your back, and you kind of practice kind of circling and uh, circling around them. Uh, so it's almost like, if the, that if, if my poor description didn't make sense, uh, imagine if you're going from a front headlock, how guys will go from a front headlock or a snap down, and then they'll go to the back. It's, it's kind of like you're doing that motion, but you're continuing the motion, so you're just continually making full circles, and then you'll switch and have your partner do it. Um, but Zavit almost looks like he's running those drills in an actual fight. Even if the cage is there, it's insane. He'll just wedge himself through the cage. Oh, I'll use the cage. He's got a front head lo- locked up, and like, and he'll actually use it to like sprawl. You know, uh, he'll actually use it to get leverage on a choke or turn a guy over from a front head lock or Darius or Anaconda lock up, or he'll sprawl on a takedown, and a guy will run into the fence, which is what they should do. And from there, you can usually take angles. But then Zabib, like, oh, the fence, you're cool. I'll use it, and he'll like run off the fence. Like he loves the fucking fence, that guy. And I'm not even talking about his. You know, Showtime Pettis kicks and all the stuff that 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 every you know, draw, draws the highlight reel attention, right? Um, no, it's his grappling, and I mentioned the front headlock there and the back takes because I think it's Arapo, um, Brandon Davis. You know, he's deceptively strong inside the clinch, but you know he's a free flower too. And I explain this more in my 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 breakdown. Please, I encourage you to go read it. on MMA Junkie it should be up now, um, or by the morning, but uh. But, but yeah, like, they're both kind of free flowers that have almost a lackadaisicalness to them. But Zabit's lackadaisicalness is more just because of his demeanor, right? It's kind of how he looks. It's not so much his technique per se, because he's actually got pretty good speed 
he's got good speed, actually, I should say, and pretty darn good head movement, especially for a tall guy because there's kind of a waftiness uh, that, that interferes with the speed, and that waftiness kind of translates to the a floating head that, that translates to not great head movement. But again, Sabit has speed, and he has head movement. He has these things. It's just another reason what makes the hype so high on him. Whereas the lackadaisicalness I point to and the free-flowingness of Davis is more of actual lackadaisicalness where he's just like, come on, man, I'm tough. I know what I'm doing. I'm drawing you in. And there is a purpose to it. And he did, you know, there is a purpose to it. He is a counterfighter. And to his defense, yes, he does roll well with the shots Davis does, but he's still getting hit a lot, being lackadaisical, lazy, low hands, you know, and just things that are kind of dangerous, not kind of, that are dangerous against a guy like Zabit. And more importantly, those habits kind of flow when he's getting wrestled around you know, in the clinch, you'll see him where he'll, you know, he's got good base and balance, and he's deceptively strong there. But at the same time, he's, he's got this apathy for danger, right? And he just, and he'll let a guy kind of ragdoll him because he knows he can, get, he can get up. But the problem is, even though the guy only uh, downs him for a split second and he bases himself back up, he bases himself out by tripoding or turtling up to stand. And, of course, I preach it all the time in my breakdowns. You tripod up to your feet, you turtle out to stand, you inherently give your head and neck for a front headlock and also make yourself available for back takes. Either straight up or, of course, the front headlock leads to a back take or the front headlock leads to front chokes, which, again, Sabit can lock up some nasty front chokes with a blink of an eye with those long arms. He's done it in past fights before, um, even in recent ones, the Anaconda and the UFC, but you know you watch his fights before that, though. Um yeah, so I actually see him getting a submission here. Uh, maybe by this morning, when you guys are listening to this, it'll be out. But as of now, there is no submission prop. Uh, I believe the inside the distance is probably like juiced up to the bits, like minus one sixty five or something. Um, not juiced up to the bits, if that's the line. But let me let me just see what it is at. So I'm not talking completely out of my ass. Uh, one eighty five. I don't know if I would. I would play that um, straight up, right? Just for a prop. So I don't know. I don't know how. Maybe it might be like plus one hundred five or plus one ten. I'm hoping or plus one twenty. That's probably wishful thinking, but I'm hoping it'll be plus money at least, not for long. But I'm looking for the Magomed Sharapov by sub prop to drop. If, I, if old school Dan Tom was doing his article, this one would make it for sure, probably because uh, it would fit in the timeline for late, late dropping lines. Especially you know Dan Tom late, late drops his podcast here and bets. But yeah. Um, Magomed Sharapov, I sub is one I'm looking for. All right, next fight, co-main event time. Uh, Valentina Shevchenko, second biggest favorite on the card. One that probably end up closing as the biggest challenger to a sitting champion. We have Valentina Shevchenko, the challenger, minus 1,250 versus Nico Montano, comeback plus 800. Uh, Montano, who, by the way, if you go back and watch her early fight, she was known as the Ovarian Barbarian. Wonder what happened to that nickname? <laughs> yeah, man. Um, again, I read it in the breakdown, and I was like, "Oh, did you write a long breakdown? I don't read this stuff." <laughs> of course, she she's not gonna win. Sorry, I wrote a breakdown on it, and I gave the respect as I always do, no matter how big the underdog is. Ugh, excuse me. It's Montano's game, you know. Um, not a lot to write off, right home on the feet, but she, you know she she's putting her game together. There's a lot there. Parlay the tie kicks to side kicks. 
shifting stance, firing off quick one twos whenever she goes from southpaw to orthodox. Something uh, something I like, and you know you could see the the working off the prodding jabs, and, and uh, she doesn't have power, but she'll stay persistent. She'll bloody a girl's nose or two up, you know. Very, you can see the 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 Tom and Arlene Vaughn influence, right? They're, they're very. Uh, the, I don't even want to say the poor woman's Tim Means, but even compare the two, you get what I'm saying. There is a, you can at least tell they're from the same uh, same striking coach for what for what that's worth. But yeah, the defense is not there, and I think that's what's going to cost her. Uh, I see her getting countered on the way in because she's going to have to come in, um, even though it's not Shevchenko's forte to pressure. She showed to do that in her last flyweight fight. Uh, she seems very confident this way. She kind of just wants to get to the belt as. As the narrative seems to to state, and uh, you know, you look in victory and defeat in Montana. Anybody who has pressed her has done well. Even even um, Ferry, right? People not known for their striking. So someone like Shevchenko could do a lot. That's how I see it going. Most importantly, Montana underrated on the ground. I mean, she knows what to do. She can transition well, half guard, uh, side control. She always looks for the mount, though, for the most part. And she knows what to do when she gets there. Problem is, I don't think she'd get past the clinch. You know, Montano's common threat is the clinch. Um, something she heavily relies upon. And obviously, it's something that I don't even think I can say that's underrated part of Valentina's game. Uh, but it's something that I've been tooting for a long time. Uh, before the Pena fight, even before the home fight, where, you know, I was on Shevchenko. It was just, you know, just from watching her Muay Thai, you know, and just the way she conducted herself in Muay Thai. And that's what it's going to come down to, that clinch game. It's gonna, I think it's going to... Shut down Montano. I got Shevchenko, second round uh, stoppage. Um, yeah, I played it. it it's went up since uh, a little bit, but I, I got it at minus 155. I call it the old Demetrius Johnson line where the inside the distance is going to be real discounted when you have a real inflated line. It's just a question of, uh, I hate to say it, because it's just a basic-ass way of looking at it, but it's true. Do you think he's going to get the finish or not? You know, it's just, just the angle. It's the only play as far as... You know, degenerate betting angles go right for the, the, these fights, and, and that's one. I, and and uh, I'm sure not alone, but I took the shot there. I just threw two units at minus 155. I think it's like minus 165 now, so it's not that much higher. It's still playable if you really want to go Chalk City there. Um, and yeah, I'm actually going to hit pause real quick, not take a break before I get to this main event. Sorry. Sorry about that. I'm back. The old acidity attacks. All right, um, dot until minus 150. Jesus, Tyron Woodley plus 130. Wow, yeah, it went up a little bit since I went to sleep there. Wow, I'm really surprised. Uh, this, I mean, not really, I guess. I mean, I don't know, maybe it was the craziness in me. I actually was a lean toward Darren Till in the, uh, initially, but then I did my research. And I was like, yeah, yeah, no, 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 Dan, get out of here, snap out of it, Dan, no, no. Um, listen, it, I think it's, it's more realistic. Each man has more of a chance than winning that it seems like their, their supporters, uh, on either side would, would give credit to, you know, um, Till. At the risk of reiterating previous points, yes, he's a sizable welterweight, and he does have the tools in the sense of 
he puts pressure, you know, at his best that he does, not through strikes, but, you know, uh, through footwork and feints, he can counter, does hit heavy, appears to be hard to take down and hold down. Again, we haven't had him tested at the highest level in that regard as far as wrestling and top of the division. So, it's it's tough, and, and not even really the southpaw thing because, again, you... I'm real hesitant to say that because this is, you know, you include the camp at 192 with Tyron Woodley that never happened, or Johnny Hendricks that never happened. Just Tyron Woodley's like eight or ninth camp uh, preparing for a southpaw. So, and yeah, that's, you know, of course, including Stephen Wonderboy Thompson there who switches stance. But, but yeah, I mean, Till, the thing with Till is even though he's, he's very durable, uh, and, and can dish it out, which obviously is a big thing going for him. Does he want to take those shots from Woodley? You know, I, I don't think. I don't think. I, I, no matter how good a guy's chin is, like Woodley's one of those last guys where you're like, oh yeah, 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 take the shot. He'll be, you know, as long as he gets past that shot or two or three, it's it's tough because you know, if you look at if you look at Till the. The guys he's facing were either not taking advantage of the counters that were there, or the people who were countering him weren't Tyron Woodley. You know what I'm saying? In other words, there's plenty of opportunities there that, that Tyron Woodley's going to have uh, to hit Darren Till, I believe. Um, obviously, it's not going to be in his, his, his best interest is to you know slug it out with him or to play Till's game in the sense of... Uh, sense of that range but it's just it's it's tough I, I feel like we're, we're honestly going to get a hybrid of uh you know the the, the thompson fights that we, we saw them both have uh with steven thompson in their own different ways uh, of course but it it's funny after all the talk all the points have been crossed and i've already done my analysis and my write-up i almost still feel like <laughs> It's not even so much I'm at a loss for words, but it's just like a loss for like umph to really. <laughs> there's no, there's no, there's no salient points to the nail home in this fight. You know what I'm saying? There's not one like one salient point on either side where you're just like yes. And I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. I don't know. I'm just more, I'm, I'm more planning on enjoying this one. But I'll be honest that that plus that that plus one thirty that I'm seeing now um, is making me want to just take a take a unit shot on Woodley just for the. Uh, just for the crap of it, man, because I do have him by decision here. Um, I do think Darren Till is durable enough to take to take Woodley's shots, uh, you know. But I do think Woodley's going to be able to hit him enough and take him down enough to get a decision, you know. I was always one to criticize Woodley's gas tank because I would see this even with Darren Till's low output criticize, uh, criticisms uh, in the picture, which I believe are just, by the way, um, even with those included. I still felt that him pressuring him through feints and you know maybe hurting Woodley enough, even just hurting him that one time would be enough to maybe get into Woodley's head, maybe make him second guess himself. But Woodley, to his criticisms of second guessing himself, getting in his head or gassing out, you can argue that I don't want to say he's overcame them emphatically because that that sure as hell hasn't happened. But I mean, he his moments have happened late in fights, or he's been able to hold it together late in fights, you know, uh, whether it's hitting, you know, Stephen Wonderboy with a, a shot late or with, you know, his 
to his credit, his dislocated arm, being able to defend takedowns and hustle against Damian Maya. Now, granted, again, back to the <laughs> low strike output theme that is probably what is making me just like, you know, suck the one out of my excitement going into this fight. And as you're kind of hearing come to fruition now as I talk about it, um, silver lining, what I was impressed with Woodley going back to watch that Maya fight was that Woodley, even though he wasn't throwing a lot, he was staying very active in the sense of his alertness, you know, because not only would Woodley tire, even the fights where he was going the five rounds and keeping, keeping the pace, even though it was a slow pace, uh, against Thompson, he was like very flat-footed and just standing there, like kind of had moments where he kind of wait and go, "All right, come on, all right, you're not gonna come, all right, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move, all right, come on, all right, you're not gonna come, I'm gonna move, I'm gonna move." But in the Maya fight, he was constantly moving. Now, obviously, he kind of had to be right. He, he can be a stationary target. That's how Maya sets and starts running his chains, so he had to be. But again, if I'm not looking at it from an entertaining standpoint, if I'm not looking at it from a stri striking standpoint, if I'm looking at it from how is Woodley holding up mentally and physically, cardio-wise? In that sense, that Maya fight was impressive, if that makes sense. Um, not that, I know, dangerous to say that Maya fight uh, being impressive, and that's not what I'm saying, but hopefully you get what I am trying to say in the sense that uh, silver lining, I don't know what it was, but man, Woodley, his cardio looked at a different level. Like He looked more attent attentive as well, not just keeping the output physically, what I was seeing, but just, just his attentiveness, his, his demeanor, his eyes, his spirit. I don't know, man. I don't know. I don't know what, I don't know what changed because he was gassing out, you know, counter-grappling Jake Shields for three rounds, but I don't know. It, it, it's hard to say, you know. It, it's hard to say. It's hard to insinuate anything. He's always been, a, he's always been a, a, an athletic freak in college throughout his whole UFC career. Um... It's hard to start nitpicking and say, well, yeah, but he was more muscular than muscular. Well, injuries, guys come in not healthy. You know, you never know. I'm, I, I don't know. I don't know. But uh, as much as I'm trying to play devil's advocate here and tear Woodley down, really, I, 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 I feel like at least if I'm not doing a good job here, go read the breakdown that he has answered those critics, namely me. I've been one of his biggest critics for a lot of things. And... Uh, and yeah, I'm not gonna discount the guy. At least here, you know, he is he is 36, and it's bound to run out. But power is the last thing to go. His speed is still freakish. One thing I will say, if anything is gonna start showing of age, it'll be his his weight cuts. And I tweeted about this earlier, and I hate making those tweets. It's always you know, it all feels very alarmist when it doesn't need to be, and I definitely don't want to be that guy. But but yeah, I couldn't help but feel like uh, listening to you know. My voice doesn't sound great right now, too, granted, but listening to Tyron's voice, I know he cuts a lot of weight. I know he has rough weight cuts. You know, at UFC 209, I went to Adam Hunter's comedy show, and uh, they reserved a, Adam's like, yeah, they reserved a, a reserved table. Woodley's coming. And then he's like, oh, I don't know if he's coming. Uh, I don't want to... I'm trying to think how to put this, but, uh, you know, it was insinuated, let's just say, no one, no one knew for sure, but how we were talking, it was insinuating like, oh, maybe the last minute change was, you know, it has to do with, again, we're in fight week, he's got a title fight, he cuts a lot of weight, you know, he was already moody, the reason why he was going to come to the comedy show was to help quell the moodiness, but maybe, you know, 
there's other things going on. Anyways, Woodley actually ended up showing up to the show. It looked like he enjoyed himself. It was a good sport. It was there with his family. was having a laugh. And then he goes and wins at UFC 209, of course. Uh, um, but, yeah, so, again, it's no secret that the guy struggles during fight week. It's not that I'm surprised. I don't recall his voice being that bad, though, you know, and... Very few guys, like James Vick, some of the only seldom few that come to mind, that that's a normal thing for them. And even that, it's like, is that healthy, man? I don't think anybody thinks that's healthy. So, so yeah, that, that kind of worried me uh, enough to, you know, if I was a betting man to not make a play, if I was going to make a play on Woodley or to change my pick or whatever, no. Uh, you know, I think they're both as culpable to show up tomorrow, this morning or whatever, to, to, to make or miss weight. Um Maybe not, obviously. Uh, Darren Till obviously has way worse of a track record. To, well, I don't think Willie's ever missed weight. But you know what I'm saying. Uh, I'm, I'm, neither would surprise me, let's just say that. But, yeah, uh, the pick is Woodley here. I'm just not expecting an exciting fight. And, and again, uh, this isn't anything new. You know, uh, Migos and George were saying the same thing when uh, Till fought uh, Thompson. Everyone's like, oh, this is going to be a striker's delight. Like, no, this is going to be... It's going to be a boring fight, guys. It's going to be <laughs> a counterfighter. So, yeah, yeah, I think we're going to see the same thing. And if it comes down to inches winning around, well, we've just seen Woodley do that oh, oh so many times, and he's just the more proven product here. So, yeah, I'm, I'm going to go with Woodley. But, uh, but yeah, I can't say I, I, I wouldn't be stoked if uh, Darren Till won for a changeup. Uh, but, uh, but, you know. Hard to root for a guy who, you know, admits himself he didn't deserve the title shot and admits himself he's going to be moving on from the weight class. So, yeah, I don't know what we're doing here for this one, guys. But hopefully we enjoy it anyways. Uh, I'm sorry that that, that that didn't seem that didn't seem the most uh, enthused. I, I, again, I'm, I'm just waking up here uh, from elo an elongated nap and lack of sleep still. And, and, and uh, for all the criticisms of this card, there are some gems on it for the hardcores, but... Yeah, it's not your normal pay-per-view style thing. But, uh, hey, we're going to enjoy it anyways. Uh, I'm not going to read any of the on iTunes or Amazon stuff, please. Five-star ratings and reviews on iTunes. Uh, Amazon and on it, click through, through no, no charge to you and kicks a little bit back to the podcast. Those, of course, can be found at MixedMartialAnalyst.com. Um, thanks again. Apologies I haven't been giving back to some messages, especially on Facebook, guys. I'm really bad. I, 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 I go on there for the bare minimum. Um, but I will be getting back to you guys, uh, booking some more episodes in the process right now, the Protecting Neck podcast for the top fives, uh, more to come on that. I'm going to get the F out of here. Apologies for the late episode. Apologies uh, if I just sound like I have a lack of sleep. Because I, I have. <laughs> Sorry if I just woke up. Because I did. And, um, good luck on your plays this weekend. And of course, yes, you know it. Always protect your neck.